come with us. When you wish upon a star. Come and remember the magic. What's up, all you rad dudes and dudettes? Welcome to 90s Disney, your podcast for everything about Disney in the 90s. I'm your host, AJ Minotti, joined by my brothers, Mike Minotti. Hello. And Chris Minotti. Hello. I feel like we we just did this. I was going to say, didn't we just do this? Yeah, we did it. We recorded our .5 yesterday, but uh, you guys have your own family bonding trips coming up, so we have to get this one done now. Got some road trips ahead of us. So what better time than to do that classic 90s film, A Goofy Movie? Uh-huh. I thought we were just going to do a movie. <laughs> no, no, it a must movie. be goofy. A goofy movie? Why is it? <laughs> Some kind of goofy movie. All right, guys. Somehow Goofy has returned. I'm sorry. I got to make that joke. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> All right, let's go back to April 7th of 1995, when the number one movie in the world was... Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? And I've never what seen those. Do nope. when they, I think I've seen the second the, one. Did that new one, one come out? I think they're yet? making a new one. I don't think it's out yet. Well, there was a new one. Like there was a new one like 10 years ago. Yeah, that's not new anymore. Another new one. There was like a new one when like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were coming out. 10 years ago? I bet that was like 20 years ago now. You might be right. I'm talking like in the past year. No, there's a no. new one coming out. But I feel like I'm just, it's just weird because I feel like that trailer was. Oh, like look months it ago. up. There was no trailer. Now look up the Bad Boys film series. Now we want to know. I don't want us to get off track here. Uh, oh, you're right. There was a movie called Bad Boys for Life in yeah, 2020. That I, actually thought it was that re- I thought it was longer ago. Yeah. That's, that's where and I am. Bad Boys 2, again, the way that you was like, that was not too long ago. That was 2003. Oh, no, I knew that was a while ago. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, then, yeah. Bad Boys. I was right. Hey, this. It says Bad Boys 1 came out in 1995. Did you know that? <laughs> I tell <laughs> the truth. The devil. Yeah, so Sadie more bugs around here. Oh, get over the bugs. <laughs> We had a bug invasion right before we started recording. I got the whole family. I see one. I got the whole family involved. I gave them all newspaper clippings. We went around for a while. It was a good, good bonding exercise. Goofy thrilling. should have tried that. Yeah, AJ that marked the ceiling. Solved everything. The ceiling was all right, marked. Ooh, yeah, because that wasn't me. <laughs> what? That was right there. I see it. That wasn't me. <laughs> Both of those. Also not me. There's a bug up there. Anyway, uh, the number one song. This is how we do it, do what, it. What, why isn't it uh, for Montel? Why is it Night to I? Yeah. Why isn't it Power <laughs> Why is it the number one movie, a goofy movie? <laughs> I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But your kids are going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this movie has a somewhat interesting genesis uh, from none other than Jeffrey Katzenberg. They are making a Bad Boys 4 also. That's why I thought they're still doing. Don't worry, AJ. I got to the bottom of all the Bad boy stuff. You make it to Thank, you, know. thank you. Uh, one of those things he always knows about Katzenberg, he always seems to have like a good like spark of idea. Yeah, I think he has a lot of good lies, to be honest. <laughs> and then everything after that's always questionable. But what was what was the spark for Quibi? <laughs> How can I make money without paying people very much? Yeah. <laughs> so might shock you here. You kind of had okay, okay, there okay. Was a bug. There was a bug. I got it. I know we're recording a podcast. I got the bug. I'm sure that's hey, not it was, the it heck was literally out of me. right here. I had to attack while I did. I got him. You, may, I'm sorry. 
Please enlighten me about a goofy movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is very serious <laughs> I didn't mean to disrupt our deep dive into a goofy movie by swatting out a fly, but I apologize and you may continue now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, okay. All right. All right. Hey, <clears throat> be professional. <clears throat> so Katzenberg didn't have a great relationship with his daughter. What shock! <laughs> <laughs> like, a top executive in a massive corporation had a bad relationship with their kid, and uh, apparently they took a summer road trip together and bonded. <laughs> so Man, you gotta wonder how. I don't think good, much bonding that really was. I don't think they went fishing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably went to the Hamptons or something. Yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, they were they were kicking around some more ideas after the the you know, uh, DuckTales movie did good. You know, could we do anything else with our other uh, Disney uh, afternoon you know, TV animation? And uh, Goof Troop was kind of uh, thought up in connection with this, and uh, they decided to greenlight this goofy movie. Uh, they decide to kind of make it like a sequel to the series. We age up a little bit. Max is now 14 in, and in high school. This is three years after the events of Goof Troop. And I always kind of wonder like how literal of a sequel it is. Like obviously like Goofy and Max are there and they, and, you know, like, they're aged up. There's returning voice cast. But, but like PJ's or um, Pete's wife isn't there. Pete's wife and, okay, and um, the, the younger daughter. And, Ke- and Pistol. Uh, Kevin Pistol. Lima addressed this uh, in the past. Oh. Um, you know, there was there was thought obviously given. Do we put them in? Do we not? And did they get divorced? <laughs> well, yeah, that family? that was all the rampant fan theory, I right? Like, like, it. yeah, were they divorced or did something happen? And you know, which is always the answer when these happen. It's just like they didn't serve the story, so we didn't yeah, put them in. Yeah, I mean, it's in. not like Pete they and PJ are really in the movie that much either. Right? No, but there's there's supposed to be a contrasting relationship mm-hmm. to to Max and which Goofy. There, yeah, definitely, is. and and Pistol and and Peg kind of muddy that up. So they, they didn't need them, so they didn't use them. Like you know, there's no deeper meaning going on no. here. But everyone likes to find it. Um, so the beginning of production, and this is where Katzenberg starts doing his thing. He feels that they need a celebrity to voice the lead. Oh, boy. Can't be go. just Goofy sounding like Goofy. That Wait, goofy. you mean they didn't want to have... He wanted Steve Martin to voice Goofy in what? this movie. <laughs> I like Steve Martin, but what? Right? So that didn't uh, happen. I mean, it's funny because, like, the dude, the DuckTales show does, like, that that bit where, like, they cure Donald's, like, voice for a bit, and he's certainly <laughs> right. voiced by Don Cheadle, you know? Yeah. It's, like, played for laughs, but you couldn't, like, literally just have some celebrity well, be the voice. Well, it's funny, too. You have a, you have some similarities with the Mario movie today, you know? How Charles Martinet was not the voice. Yeah, yeah, but it's just a little no. I mean, right, that, that's way more cartoony, not mean, really yeah. a voice, but... So, they're like, okay, fine, it'll be Bill Farnborough. Then Katzberg's like, hey, Bill... Like cool, but don't don't do the goofy thing. And he's like, what? He's like, you know, just make him sound like a normal guy. A, and Bill it's was a like, goofy yeah, movie. Yeah, <laughs> he said like he objected. He's like, I think people want goofy to sound like goofy, but I mean, it's his boss. He told him what to yeah. do. So he's like, okay. So they actually recorded like that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, for uh, a week and a half. God, I would love to hear that. Yeah, I want to hear. I I know I couldn't they find were. any footage of it. I don't know if it exists, but apparently for a week and a half they they tried this. And it was actually Eisner and Roy O. Disney who were like, Bill, this is stupid. Just sound like Goofy. Right. <laughs> so they go back and re-record everything and get the performance well, we have It's today. good because in, when the serious serious moments do happen and still a Goofy voice, it hits that much more. It right. really you does because well, you know, it turns out Bill Farmer is a good actor. Yeah, right, who right. would have thought? You know? So Kevin Lima is brought on to direct. Kevin's got a pretty cool uh, career path to get to this point. Uh, he studied at CalArts in the mid-80s like a lot of these old Disney guys did. 
He actually moved to Taiwan for a while and worked on the studio that did the Brave Little Toaster and the Chipmunk Adventure. <laughs> what? I did it quietly. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> I got it. There's a bug <laughs> crawling on the table in my cramped piece of paper. It slowly squished it like it was a pillow. <laughs> Go to sleep now. (laughs) So methodically done. (laughs) I didn't want. I didn't want to disrupt the podcast. (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) I got it. I worked really hard on these show notes. Please do that last one over again. Both notes at the same time, (laughs) and I'm wondering what's he gonna do. Like, AJ's notes are so excellent. I'm learning so much about Goopy. I want to be as subtle and discreet about squashing this bug as I could be. Uh, apologies. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Kevin Lima moved to Taiwan where he worked on such films as The Brave Little Toaster and The Chipmunk Adventure. I love The Chipmunk Adventure. I haven't seen that in a while. Brave that Lim- has that very Don Bluthy feel to it. Yes. Even though it's like The Chipmunks, it still has that going. Yeah, and it's kind of kind of has like a around the world in uh, 80 days thing. I yeah. like Brave Little Toaster. Brave Little Toaster can be a bit much sometimes. Brave Little Toaster is creepy AF. It gets yeah. creepy and dark and scary and like sometimes mean-spirited even. You don't want to re-watch right. that one a lot. Well, it's interesting. It's such a prototypical Pixar movie and like Literally, a lot of those people were involved with it. You can really see that when you watch mm-hmm. it. Uh, so while he was there, he actually met Glenn Keane, who this is when he left Disney after the failure of The Black Cauldron. Oh. And he was the one who encouraged him to, even though he had just been rejected from Disney, to apply again. And uh, he gets hired. So he goes over to Disney. He works as a character animator on The Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and Company. Then he becomes a character designer on The Little Mermaid, The Rescuers Down Under, and Beauty and the Beast. And then well, he's a storyboard artist on Aladdin. Well, because he, he was the... <laughs> Beast lead animator, wasn't he? Glenn Keane. I'm pretty sure he was. No, I'm talking about Kevin Lima. Oh, sorry. I thought Glenn Keane. <laughs> yeah, he I'm came s- back. I'm still thinking of the bug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't, you're, you're you so can't blame the bug for everything, Chris. So at this point, he actually left Disney. He went to Hyperion Pictures. Uh, he worked on a television series called Itsy Bitsy Spider and some films like, remember Baby's Kids? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember Baby's Kids was on at Grandpa's uh, house one time and we saw something. It was just really weird because like, I don't think I ever was used to the idea that cartoons couldn't be for kids so it was like a really foul mouth baby mm-hmm. and i think he like uh took a took a, a you know number two in his diaper and there's a lot of gags about that uh, I was right like, well, is this course. allowed am i allowed to see this <laughs> so he's eventually comes back to disney uh to direct a goofy movie and uh he had a very specific goal when he sat for this here's a quote from kevin instead of just keeping goofy one-dimensional as he's been in the past we wanted to give an emotional side that would add to the emotional arc of the story we wanted the audience to see his feelings instead of just his antics. Mission accomplished. Because <laughs> right. so. yeah, even in like Goof Troop, which I liked, it is there's not a lot of like I don't, I don't remember Nuance. A lot of deeper <laughs> moments going on in Goof Troop. Right. right, a few lessons learned maybe, right. but yeah. And there's all there's like inherent drama anyways of just you know kid going older and your father's goofy, right? How do you do it? Literally goofy. Yeah. yeah. All right, so the production was done by Disney Movie Tunes, uh, the same studio that you know did the TV stuff and did the, the right. DuckTales mm-hmm. movie in 1990. Yeah. But as we talked about, it's like that, it's like a weird umbrella term for a lot of different international right. studios. So this was primarily animated at the studio in France with additional work done uh, by Satellite Studios in Sydney, Australia, Spain, and Canada. Wow. 
You don't kind of realize there's so many. It's like and, an Ubisoft game these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And it's hard. You got to remember, this is 1993. You know, like, we didn't have Skype and Zoom and Dropbox. Right. Like, just that had to be hard. Phone call meetings, yeah. yeah. It'd be really hard to send the Pony Express across the Atlantic. Yeah, right. Uh, the pre-production was done in Burbank starting in mid-1993. And uh, they, this is interesting. I didn't know this. So we're all familiar. If you're a Disney fan, you've probably heard of the CAP system, which yes. is the, the computer animation Something, something. Program uh, system? I don't know. Something like that. It's how they digitally painted their films. There was that test scene in The Little Mermaid. The first kind of real big debut of it was Rescues Down Under. That's why the movie started to look a little more, more vibrant right. and at it that is, point. I remember even like in the late 90s going back to watch, because I think Little Mermaid actually came back to theaters at one point in mm -hmm. the late 90s. I remember, because it was right around when there was a lot of competitive films coming out, like the Rugrats movie and Anastasia, so Disney just re-released Little Mermaid. But I remember like, oh, this like, almost looks more like those movies like movies from the 60s right right like, it, felt, like it feels older somehow yeah, yeah right right because it's just it's just not it just has that natural darker kind of yeah stuff. it is just kind of darker you're right so uh this movie didn't use caps uh, but it was done digitally in another system called pixie box uh that was run by the pixie box studio out of france this was used by other studios um some of the notable films i found that uses hey arnold yeah oh, um, cool. There were others. <laughs> there really weren't a lot. No, a lot of films, but nothing like huge. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, but it's it's a weird thing how this is. So it was a you know you 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 did like you expect. You digitally scanned the pencil drawings, colored, composited effects, kind of clean up. It would render the frames, but it didn't like output to a digital video format or anything like that. Instead, what they literally did is they had a high resolution, professionally calibrated monitor. And I mean monitor in the sense like like a, like a broadcast monitor, not like just like you know the Dell that you had at home. Mm -hmm. And a thirty-five millimeter camera is pointed at that monitor, and then you record it stop motion. Like you, the computer renders a frame, the frames display, the camera records that frame, advance the film, that render the so next frame. Interesting. So it's they're, interesting. they're just filming a screen, but also right. doesn't sound super optimal. I don't know. Yeah, right. Because um, there are a lot of issues with this process. Uh, most noteworthy, they got like three quarters of the way through the film, and that's when someone realized there's a dead pixel on the screen. Oh. So there's just a giant black dot throughout the entire movie, and it, like apparently it was bad enough that they did have to go back really? and redo it. And they actually had to delay the movie because that's supposed to come out uh, Thanksgiving of '94, and they had to push it. That's because that's how much this delayed the, oh the, the release. Wow. But then there's other things. Uh, if you know to look for in the film, you'll see. Um, hairs on the screen that no one cleaned off and you'll, you'll just see this persistent hair for right. a bunch of shots I mean, if you watch like an older movie there's like a lot of like dust mites and stuff uh you know because it's just like it's age and the it, you know dirt gets on the film reel but even this but is different here, it's, yeah it's like not that old it's just well, like, no, it but, it's, 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 but it's not that like if if dust hit the the monitor the film, before it was captured but but if dust hit like film the film's moving mm -hmm. that dust is there for a frame Right. This would be one piece of dust or whatever just there. Right, and it's until, a picture of the dust. It's right. not like actual Crazy. dust is a problem for a moment. Yeah. Also, this created a lot of judder in the film. So, if you're again, if you're kind of looking for it, because this camera's on just kind of a tripod, I don't know how well it was secured or whatever, the film kind of has a shakiness to it. Mm. Uh, it's really noticeable, I think, in the scene where, where Max is leaving the house in the morning. You can really see it in like, the credits the and credits the title card. Huge. You could definitely see and, it And, uh, yeah. And, and, and that kind of goes back to something like how aware were you guys at the time that this wasn't Disney proper, right? Like this wasn't the next we movie after Lion King. I I think we maybe we had a clue of it because we kind of got that from DuckTales. Like right. well, somehow like Disney Adventure must have brought that up because we knew. And they were, they, they were especially at this time with the marketing 
being very proud about that lineage. Like, they made it very clear that the lineage to them was, and they left that Rescuers Down Under, the lineage was Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, then Pocahontas, right? Like right. They, were, this they, they told mentioned. you the, they did, like, the roundup each time for a while in those trailers, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk voice cast. Uh, you had a lot of people returning from the Goof Troop show. Of course, Bill Farmer is there as Goofy. But Max does get recast. Max was originally played by an actress named Dana Hill. Uh, you would have seen her in European Vacation playing Audrey. Okay. Um, she actually, I guess, had like a, a, a diabetic disorder that caused her to age slowly. So she played a lot of younger characters. Like when she was 18, she played a 12-year-old. And, and you mean Dana Hill was the voice of Max and Yeah, Goof she was the Max, and, Max and the Goof Troop. Yeah. So she does not reprise the role here because they wanted to age up Max. So he's uh, cast by as uh, Jason Marsden. Uh, for the speaking parts, and a singer named Aaron Lore does Max's singing. So we have the kind of classic Disney split. Pretty good, uh, yeah, pretty the good. Aladdin switch. Yeah, yes. pretty good mix up here. Like, I would have maybe not known. Like, Aladdin, it's like, yeah, that's kind of okay. Tell, yeah. That's not the guy from Full House anymore. Right, yeah. right. Uh, Pete is, again, played by Jim Cummings. His son, PJ, again, by Rob Paulson. Uh, Roxanne is uh, an actress named Kelly Martin. I think she was on ER for a while. Okay. Uh, Principal Mazer. That's Wallace Sean. <laughs> hey, of course. that guy. Wallace Sean. I mean, if you're a Disney fan, you probably know him as Rex from the Toy Story mm-hmm. movies. I Very know him as Grand Magus Nex. Uh, Grand Nagus. Uh, great. The Grand Nagus. I can't remember his name now. Uh, Revoked. I, I'm due for a D Space Nine rewatcher, <laughs> right? The Grand Nagus from Star Trek D Space Nine. Yeah. Tons of stuff. You know, Princess Bride and uh, yeah, Incredible. And the Haunted Mansion live action movie with, uh, with not Will Smith, uh, Eddie Murphy. I was he in that? Yeah, he was one of the ghosts. Like a butler or something? He was just one of the ghosts. Like, I, I saw him movie one time, like everybody else. Yeah, inconceivable. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, played by Polly Shore. Oh, uh, darn it, so Bobby. Good. <laughs> one, <laughs> of the, one of the best characters. So, uh, fun sure. side facts about Bobby. Uh, Polly Shore improv, like, most of his lines. Just kind of went to town. Yeah. And he is uncredited in the film. A lot of people wondered why this is. According to Kevin Lima, that's he just didn't want to be credited. Like, okay. Yes. I don't know why. That's that a, was, that was you gotta wonder, did they tell him about the cheese whiz, or is he just like, oh, I'm gonna just be about cheese whiz? I don't know. Like, it's like I'm sure, like, yeah, like beats like that were scripted, yeah, but yeah. then like we're just going off like, hey, I'm doing this all for you, right? Like yeah. stuff like that. I'm sure that was. That's, all it's a really memorable true. character with a kind of limited screen. I time. mean, so much so that when they made the sequel, he just became right. one of the main characters. It, it, there's like a lot of like high school stereotype characters, just oh, the jocks and nerds. Yeah. Was yeah. like Pauly Shore doing the kind of AV club kid. I'm like, that's right. actually kind of spot on. Right. <laughs> that's like great. When I say that, Eccentric. he definitely grew up to be like a web developer. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, Bigfoot in the film is voiced by Frank Welker, who's you know the man of a million voices, Abu from Aladdin. There's a lot of animal stuff, huh? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to go through the entire cast, but a few more noteworthy ones. Um, the MC at the Lester's Possum Park is Pat Buttram in his final film role. Oh, wow. Before he died. He uh, died before the movie came out. So, uh, But you you Disney fans know him best as the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood. Yep. I always Boy. remember him in Back to the Future Part 3. One of the cowboys sitting in the saloon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. During the about? wake up juice scene. Yeah, is, the that, is he the bartender? Scene. Scene. No, he's not the bartender. There's like three oh, cowboys. Yeah, they make yeah, yeah. fun of him for thinking running for fun. Remember, uh, Doctor? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Running for fun. <laughs> uh, let's see. Of course, you've got Wayne Allwine doing the line for Mickey in the movie. Um, power loin, power lines. Power loin. Power loin. That's our next. That's, uh, that, that's in the Spider Ham universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's Tevin Campbell. We're going to talk more about him and the songs later on. But the last one I want to throw out there: there is the uh, the couple in the beginning of the film. Uh, uh, just the week of rest and relaxation. The yeah. Little, the little dude in the yes. Yeah, so that is Corey Burton playing Wendell and Pat Carroll as Trini. 
It's interesting it was Pat Carroll because it's not Pat much. Pat Carroll going, yeah. <laughs> she did, yeah. So Good that's her. fun. They were, those two characters, remember I pointed out, so there's these nuns in that song who kind of keep popping up throughout right. the film. That was supposed to be Wendell and Trini. Uh, that got cut. But the, what people don't realize, Wendell is one of the uh, the roadies loading the instruments before Max and Goofy pop out. Yeah. And then Trini is the, the woman singing at the end. That's her. Right, so yeah. that's pa- Pat Carroll too then, right? But no, she's not doing yeah, the I know. Someone else. <laughs> she might have done the scream at Goofy. I don't know. Uh, and this was one of those films where, you know, they're always, they're always so proud to talk about this when it does happen, is they try to get the actors recording together as much as possible. Um, so I think that's cool. Yeah, you get that more emotional nuance. Right. They could play off each other better. So let's talk about the music. The music, of course, is a big part of this film's legacy. And this was interesting. I didn't realize there's such controversy around the score of this film. Yeah. Uh, it was originally uh, scored and composed by Carter Burwell. And uh, I found his blog where he kind of talks about stuff he's worked on. This movie's on there. And, uh, he talks about how, like, you know, they hired him and, and they said what they wanted. And he was like, okay, I got it. And he, he wrote this score and he could tell, like, they didn't really like it. Mm. Uh, he tried to use some unique, in, like, orchestration with, like, banjo, percussion, choir. And uh, they just they just wanted that classic Disney orchestral. Yeah, and you, it, get, you get it from the opening track. You 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 get that. You know, it's very sweeping. Yeah. Which almost seems counter to the film. Right. I almost would have liked to hear yours because it is almost like. Sort of generic Disney, and just in general, like '90s, everything is sort of uh, kind of like John Williams esque. Everything's very right. like romantic. Because again, that was very popular at the yep, time. Yep. Uh, so Don Davis was hired to rework the score. They didn't rescore it; he just reorchestrated it and added, you know, a little bit to it as you needed in production. Uh, apparently, like like Carter reached out to Don and was like, you know, I hope you keep like my melodies and stuff, and he mostly did. Uh, but Carter like says like I recognize the melodies, but it's not like my music. Right. Uh, so so in, in the weird. blog, was he salty about this at all? Sounded like about, it. If yeah. you if you read it, it kind of sounds like it. I don't blame him. So I wonder what his. Uh, I mean, they recorded it, so I wonder what it sounds like again. Yeah. The lost uh, audio from a right, movie yeah. that's out there somewhere. The Powerline songs were created by Patrick DeRenner and Roy Freeland and produced by David Z. Now David Z. Uh, was like the producer for Prince on a lot of his songs, like Purple Rain and Kiss. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, so um, they actually recorded all the music at Paisley Park, which were like Prince did like all his. Oh, uh, so I said yes, stuff. Paisley Park. I thought I thought you might have known that one, Chris. I, I mean, it sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, so they like they laid down like you know, they created the drum track, all the all the the keyboards, all, basically all the music. Uh, took that to L.A. where they uh, recorded with Tevin at uh, Sunset Sound. There they kind of worked on like the performance, you know, got everything out of him that they needed. Uh, they had a gospel group called the Waters. They're the ones who came and did the kind of gospel backgrounds and yeah. stuff. Nothing's gonna stop us now. Yeah, them. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. And Rosie Gaines, uh, who is actually one of the performers in Prince's group, she's the female vocal solo. So okay. she's the. How do I? That, mm-hmm. that one. Nah. Um, that whole sequence, eye to eye. Was actually done by the Australian studio. Basically, like they were coming to the end of production, and they're like, oh, "We're falling behind, Australia. We no. need you to do the whole ending." <laughs> and they're like, "What? <laughs> when? You, oh yeah, like six months? No, like 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 faster than that." Uh, so who was it? Steve Moore. He was a storyboard artist and sequence director in the Australian studios. He oversaw the entire sequence. Now what they did, kind of going back to old school Disney techniques, they actually hired choreographers who oh. came in, choreographed the song, they recorded that. And that became the kind of inspirational uh, template for the, for right. the animation. Yeah. So I mean, it wasn't animators making up choreography. It was actual choreographers, which is why people today can do this dance, because it was right. actually done by dancers. It's an actual dance. Like, like it's physically possible. I mean, it is probably the best looking part of the movie, mm-hmm. really. And 
they said the challenge though is like you know when when this was done in the past for like you know when, when Disney would film reference stuff like you know you like look at Snow Alice White Wonderland and like they rotoscoped it basically they could draw it because it was a human they could kind of draw over the performance sure. a little bit but here you have these you know goofy cartoon characters where the proportions are all wrong so you can't do that like you have the reference but you have to still yeah just to draw your own reference. thing so it's it's you know it's not as straightforward You're not tracing as over it there was a funny story that uh, Steve told where there was uh, an animator who. He was insistent on like getting all this Paula Abdul influence into the uh, okay. the, the sequence. And he was like, "No, we have the reference. Just we don't have time for this. Just stick to the reference." And this guy like refused to listen. And he's like, "Listen, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to take you off the project." And the guy like was like, "Well, I'm doing Paula Abdul. Screw you." And he's like, "Okay, you're Jeez. off the project," <laughs> which apparently like the rest of the studio was happy about because I guess he was really talented. And so he went back to work on the TV stuff that was kind of falling by the wayside for this movie. And he was like so mad. He like hate animated like really quickly and well. So it kind of worked out for everybody. Okay, interesting. (laughs) Except for him in his mind. Couldn't get that Paul Abdul influence (laughs) in the Goofy movie. The weird dynamics you uh, learn about about the Goofy movie. Okay. So yeah, the rest of the more traditional songs, After Today, Nobody Else But You, and On the Open Road. Uh, have music by Tom Snow and lyrics by Jack Feldman. And it is just interesting how much of a musical that this is. You almost mm-hmm. kind of forget sometimes. I mean, that's, you know, five five songs. As many songs as, as any like other. Like Lion King movie. almost, right? right? Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all in there. Mm-hmm. Now, this was uh, orchestrated and arranged by Michael Starobin. But I think the reason they did it like this is because, you know, the Powerline music, it has to sound like it stands on its own as just like pop songs. But they still, they do a good job tying into the themes of the films. Like, it's a kind of good double whammy there. Right. Whereas these are much more contextual musical numbers. That, Ones you know, that you would expect more. They don't stand on their own. Like, mm-hmm. they have to be part of this They film. don't stand out above, above the, the crowd, crowd, even if you want to shout out loud. Yes. Good job. Thank you. Um, so Jack Feldman, he actually worked on Newsies, and Tom Snow worked on Footloose. Mm. Uh, interesting thing, they actually worked on three different opening songs before they got to After Today. Uh, another quote from Kevin Lima that he uh, posted on Twitter. I was pretty demanding that the opening not only melodically pop, but the lyrics deliver a lot of plot information. Yeah, they, I mean, it is an hour, like, 22-minute movie. They don't have a lot, lot to work with, and they are doing a lot mm-hmm. in that opening bit there. There's also a cut song that I guess was a demo was at least put down, <laughs> where Goofy has a uh, nightmare involving Pete, uh, and it's a song called Born to be Bad. I'm sure this is him like worrying about like Max like being a terrible person like Pete said going into your central chair. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Uh, there is an, a bonus song in the film, Lester's Possum Park, and that was written by Randy right. Peterson, Kevin Quinn. Now is this? No, I mean that whole thing is uh, incredible because it's mostly a send up of uh, I mean roadside attractions, Bear. but Country Bear and a bit of uh, Chuck, Chuck E. Cheese. Cheese and all that stuff. So it's pretty incredible. I wonder they got like pushback. Like you can't like go that hard on Country Bears. We own that. That's us. <laughs> Even even now we're making fun of it for being old and lame. Right. <laughs> Love you, Country Bear. <laughs> so the film's release was interesting because Katzenberg had left the studios at this point. Um, so he had that big falling big out. Big falling out shortly of, after Lion King came out. Right. Uh, so really, this movie was kind of released as a contractual obligation more than like you know the studio felt real good about it. You have to <laughs> get this just, out there. I'm, which which is they you know, did. kind of a bummer to hear that. I guess. Right. But. Uh, so like I said, it missed its original November 18th, 1994 release date because of those technical issues with the filming. So they actually had to reissue The Lion King that November to kind of just have something in theaters. <laughs> right. Probably made more money in this day. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, Lion King came out in 94. Like, was this like a few months later they reissued it? I guess so. I wonder if we saw that reissue when it was back it's out. entirely I don't possible. Even I mean, it, was, it practically was one continuous run because yeah, how long right. these ran back then. Right. 
Uh, so they had the actual premiere April 5th, 1995. This was at the AMC Theater at Pleasure Island in so, Disney World. Do they do a lot of premieres there? I mean, I, I don't think so. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, they didn't. Again, not. you know, all these movies like the El Capitan or whatever, big red carpet. You're going to Disney World. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, We'd oh. be like, all right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Uh, I, I, and I was like trying to even say before we did this, did we see this in the AMC theater? I thought we might have. I can't remember. I, I, I know we saw it in theaters. I don't remember. Because we used to see movies at that AMC theater. That was a yeah, thing. Pervert trip. Reason. You see the bug. There you go. Good job, AJ. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what movies have we seen there? We saw half of uh, Treasure Planet that one time. Yeah, well, yeah. it was three the, quarters. It was the first time we saw a movie digitally projected and the digital projector broke. That was a big deal. That's Very great. upset. Well, then, no, then they, so they switched at the 35 millimeter and we watched it the rest no I, I remember us having to leave yeah, no I no we, fi- we finished too. i think did they give us no then they tried to switch it but then the sound broke and okay. then we left that's they gave right. us like, re- like come back free tickets like it's we're like, not going to be able it's like we're to. leaving tomorrow yeah exactly <laughs> oh well. the thing we used to do like oh it's like a big treat to go to that amc because well, that well, theater was so much nicer yeah, than ours here yeah i guess so unless we had a tinsel town it wasn't that big a deal right kind of like when you went to hibachi at the mall for the first time like oh this is almost as good yeah, yeah, yeah exactly we didn't need to go back so the movie did have a $6.12 million opening weekend, which was the number two film in America. 6.12? Yeah. I mean, that that would be terrible now and still not great back then, to be honest. That's right. pretty small. Yeah. I mean, again, expectations were always sort of different for you the... You kind of wonder what were their projections for it. Well, Bad know? Boys came out that weekend. It did 30-something, I think. Yeah. I mean, so. yeah, it's not back then it was... Yeah. If the you, numbers you, were smaller. They yeah. were smaller, but still, six is not... A lot. And it's just weird because we'll kind of get to it. it. Now this seems like a movie everybody saw. But yeah, it was not some big They box didn't see the movie hit. theater. That's no, why. Yeah. Um, I mean, it only had a box office total in the U.S. of $35.3 million. But that might be a profit still. I can't imagine this movie cost a whole lot to make. Uh, about half of that. Yeah. Well, then there you go. Yeah. Uh, it only made $2.3 million internationally, but that's mostly because they didn't really release it theatrically. International yeah. markets were not as much of a well, thing like, then. There was no obligation, too, like you said. Well, that, like, I mean, this was like almost direct-to-video, so like they released it here. But I mean, this is yeah, direct-to-video before we really had that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but in September 6th of 1995, the VHS and Laserdisc releases uh, happened, and that's when things kind of start to pick up momentum. You know, these days, this movie is considered a cult classic, and that really began with the home theater release when more and more people started to see this movie. Um, the interesting thing about the home release, and this was pretty common for the time on VHS and Laserdisc, it was a what was called a pan and scan presentation. So instead of the original widescreen, it was cropped to four by three, um, which is a more square aspect ratio. But like they would digitally move the image side to side if like something important was happening on that side of the screen. Like It wasn't just a straight yeah. cut to the middle. So movies did that, at least. Uh, when it came out to DVD, they kept the pan and scan version. So really? unless you imported a, a DVD from Europe that was in widescreen or Had certain laser Laserdisc versions, um, you didn't have the movie in widescreen until the Blu-ray release in 2019, which Crazy. coincided with the Disney Plus release. I didn't even know it had a Blu-ray release then. Man... That is, do you remember the DVDs that used to have like the widescreen side and the full screen right, side? Right, well, because yeah. not everyone had a widescreen TV yet. Right, yeah. That wasn't common. Right, I mean, that, that's something that never even used to occur to me as a kid that they were cropping stuff, we were missing stuff out right? back then. Yeah. Exactly. I remember for a while, like, getting the widescreen version and hating because, like, what are these black bars? It didn't occur to me that I was actually seeing more than I would. Right, right? but it seemed like it was smaller. Somehow. Right, right yeah, exactly. Yeah. What did we know back then? Not much. So. Again, it has this kind of life on home video. We obviously watched our copy to Kingdom Come. Yeah, we loved this movie, movie a lot. Kids. And uh, flash forward, it's the 20th anniversary of the film, August 14th, 2015, D23. 
and they have this kind of token 20th anniversary panel. You know, Bill Farmer, Jason Marsner there, Kevin Lima's there. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Like, they had, like, I guess, like a, like a top 10 must-see panels at this year's D23. This wasn't even on there. Oh. This was the most attended panel of the entire convention. Man, that I just remember, shows you. I remember this seeming like a turning point. It just in terms It absolutely of, was. Yeah. Um, they had to turn people away because, like, the, the theater they had or the, the, the hall or whatever wasn't big enough. They, they didn't know. Um, Bill Farmer talked about saying they had an almost three minute standing ovation at the end. It was incredible. I felt like one of the Beatles. Oh, that's yeah, so cool. Go. It felt so, just like Powerline. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I think truly like Disney didn't know what they had. I, I like, like right. you know, it just kind of built and built this kind of underground thing. And then like all of a sudden they're like, oh, people really like this movie. It turns well, out well, now we should late. probably do something about it. They kind of play into it a bit more in it because you see Powerline more and things. I mean, they sell Powerline t-shirts at Target. Right. Well, yeah. I, I bought one and wore it to Disney World. Right. So, yeah, like, and again, I feel like that really did start here and I remember seeing clips from this. They had, um, you know, like, you know, um, the guy who was Powerline performing even, right? Kevin Campbell, yeah. Kevin, yeah, so it was like this whole or thing. They had the Max and uh, Goofy, the Max Powerline outfit. You oh, know? that was that, that was not yeah. yeah, that probably, they probably made that because of this. Mm, he does the dance. Well, during the pandemic, in 2020 they were doing a lot of like watch alongs on disney plus where like cast and crew would jump on twitter with a hashtag and they said okay start uh, start the movie now and they would just kind of tweet along with it um they did one of these for that movie uh, for the goofy movie in 2020 uh kevin lima dropped some pretty cool trivia during this i went back to his old tweets um there was originally more involvement from a character named chad he is the <laughs> one who right before max does his performance He's the one leaning over Roxanne's throws like, hey, Roxanne, about Stacy's party. Yeah. Oh, yes. And he was also in the opening number. Yeah, he was supposed to feature more in the film and be more of a kind of foil to Max, like going after Roxanne's affections. He got cut. And his name was Chad. Incredible. Right? That's a great name. Um, there was an early version of the script where Max and Goofy were going to stop at a Goof family reunion on the way, oh, uh, which could have been very, very interesting. Yeah, that would have been interesting, yeah. We noticed, Chris, on the, on the map, there's like, you could see like Goofy's like father's name and grandfather's yeah. name, Walter P. Goofy, and then Benjamin Goofy, yep, I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Also, the correct uh, way to spell the last name Goofy, according to this, is G-O-O-F-E-Y. Oh, okay. Oh, so he's Goofy Goofy. It's not Goof. We always said Goof, but it sounds like apparently it's Goofy. Who knew? Wait, so his full name is Goofy Goofy? That's what I am inferring from this map. Mario Mario. Mario. Exactly. Luigi Mario. Exactly. Uh, This movie actually had a lot of influence on the DuckTales reboot. Uh, A large part of how they wanted to handle Donald in that show was inspired by the way Goofy was handling this, where we didn't want just the cartoon character. We wanted some nuance, and like you see his relationship with, you know, in this case, his nephews, like how, you know, Donald kind of became a helicopter parent in this series and, and kind of how that affects him as a character. Right. I'm cool. Cause they seemed a bit aged up the, 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 the triplets and they mm-hmm. were in the original DuckTales and Donald was barely in the original DuckTales here. He's right. a regular cast member. And there was a lot of like single dad stuff going on here. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a bit of that in quack pack also. Yes. Who remembers quack pack? <laughs> I do. But quack pack was, I mean, even the name quack pack was really more of a goof troop thing than anything yes. else. Um, the, the DuckTales reboot does consider the events of a goofy movie canon. Mm-hmm. Which means it exists in two universes now because there's the original Disney Afternoon universe where this exists and the current DuckTales reboot universe. There you go. So for those of you who like lore. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> there's your lore there's some spicy tidbits. Well, there are a lot of references to this film throughout that series. They sing Stand Out together. Ah, that's cool. Uh, you see when, when Goofy has the, his wallet photos, there, there's pictures of, like Max and Roxanne right. together at graduation, I think. Yeah, yeah. Goofy like shows up in season three. It's like a whole kind of Goof Troopy episode mm-hmm. in there. They talk about Spoonerville, which we noticed like. 
in the in in, in the movie, the, the high school students all have H's on their jerseys. I don't know what H is right. supposed to. And be. it kind of goes back to like, is this like it's not a goof troop movie the way that the Ducktales movie was a Ducktales movie, like yeah. that same exact cast like playing the theme song here and mm-hmm. there, right? Like they don't play the goof troop theme song. It's trying to but sort then, of. But then you, you have to ask, like, did they care? Like, yeah. It was like, like some animators, like oh, I got to put a letter on these H is as good right. as any. Like, like, like clear, no. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's like, yeah, this is happening because Goof Troop was a thing, right? And you know, we've aged up Max, and this is mm-hmm. certainly that stuff. But there are like weird little differences. Uh, you know, um, um, uh, Pete's job is in an RV guy. He's working with Goofy as like a photographer now. Right, right. and then in an extremely Goofy movie, now Goofy's working at a toy factory. Maybe he just can't hold down a job. That's well, actually yeah. believable enough. But still, able to support a household. That's and raise said. the sun. Uh, those '90s salaries. Well, yeah, you can work in a, in a photo studio at the mall and single raise the sun in a really nice like house. Doug Funny's dad did the same job. Yeah, right? yeah it's like oh, okay, <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, remember, uh, gosh, the, the, the just like every sitcom, these ridiculous houses that they they had. I guess Danny Tanner was a news anchor at least. Yeah, yeah, he was on TV. Bit, but fam- and there were a few other incomes involved. Yeah. The only matters well. guy was just a cop. Like he's not making that much. Yeah, but you know, Chicago, he had a pension. And they probably had a pension. Uh, yeah, big. You know, pension. Yeah. All right, so uh, these days, I2I is a huge TikTok meme. Everyone knows the perfect Everyone pass now. Everyone knows it. What's the, what's the one guy who does it really well? Oh, um, I don't know. I don't watch TikTok. Yeah, you don't watch, I don't watch TikTok. TikTok. They, these Shoot. guys are always sending me TikTok videos. I Get barely mad I don't send watch you any. Is that Goofy or is that a different guy? I don't know. Goofy. He's really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and he has a really good cosplay for both Max and Powerline. I do still listen to this song a lot. Oh, yeah. It's a great song. It's in our intro. It's in the intro. It's pretty strong. There was an acapella version that will actually mix this and stand out that I listened to for quite a while on Spotify. If you look up I2I, it'll, it'll show up there nice. somewhere. Aka Bells or something like that. Mm. So, yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's saying stand out. Those are definitely the best musical uh, tracks. Like, I like the three, like, you know, more traditional musical sing-songy things. Mm. That Powerline stuff, it is... Like still fantastic today. I mean, it's very '90s, but in a really fun way. Yeah, it, it actually has aged up. pretty well, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're talking about it before. So the earliest reference I can find to is in 2022 when Max as Powerline started showing up at the parks. Yeah, uh, I think that, it's part part of the Halloween stuff. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it was that or like they had those nighttime like mm-hmm. college nights or whatever. So, yeah, he comes out more and more now. It's pretty popular. And <laughs> I don't know if it's a requirement, but it seems like whoever's doing it always knows the perfect oh, yeah, dance. Because everyone it. comes up and starts doing the dance and they just jump right in. The guy's it. probably like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know how hard it is to do <laughs> in this thing. Mike, you actually said you heard this at the newly uh, uh, re- renovated Disneyland Toontown. Uh, this song is part of the music loop and the new orchestral version, or not orchestral, but instrumental. It is, yeah, it's instrumental. It's, there's a really cool music loop because there's an instrumental version of DuckTales that I heard, but yeah, walking in, it was the I2I, mm-hmm. I was like, and that was pretty cool, and there's a couple other just Powerline and Goofy movie references yeah. in this land now. Yeah, so in Goofy's house, um, there's a there's a Bigfoot trap in the front yard, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, you know, photos, there's actually a photo of Goofy and Max in the house that is uh, uh, aping the Step Brothers poster. <laughs> Where they're in the sweaters. Oh, and the ones yeah, they yeah, no, yeah, it's actually incredible. The posters. Uh, inside the uh, El Capitan Theater, there's there's two movie posters. One's that's like a Freaky Friday kind of spoof with Max and Goofy. The other one is a, um, and it's like two. It's high school musical. One, well, real quick, the Freaky Friday one's like, they didn't always see eye to eye. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, then the other one's like a high school musical spoof, and it has Stacy and Roxanne, Max, right, Goofy. Right, you can see all or, those. Or, uh, PJ and Bobby. Um, inside the... Uh, 
the concession stand are Power Limes. I saw them. Yep. And yep. Uh, you could win a free trip to Lester's Possum Park if you send in the UPC code. I didn't oh, notice that's that. Cool. Yep. Man. And that little girl at Lester's, apparently there's a photo of her somewhere. I think, oh, the concession stand. I mean, there's more than I even there's thought. A, there's a lot. Man, that, that's there's amazing. A lot. This film went from, in 2015, like, no one really... Well, but here's, but here's the thing. about it. The people our age who grew up with this movie and watched that VHS in 1997, they're the ones making this stuff now. Right, Which yeah. is why we're getting we're stuff like it. this and why it's, it's so fun to... to and they're able to be like to the higher ups, like, see, they do like this. Right. Let us do this. Like the proof is there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this did respond a direct to video sequel in 2000, an extremely goofy movie. Hey. I didn't do a ton of research on anything or why it was made. We might do that for a future episode. But I always liked it extremely goofy. I don't think I've ever, or maybe so. Because everyone talked about when Monsters University came out, like, oh, they figured out how to make like a college movie, but for kids, I was like, hello, they did that already. It was great. Yeah, and just like how a goofy movie is so '90s, it's right smack in the middle. This is so like Tony Hawk. uh, It was all the X Games stuff, yeah. Right, and it was a really fun way. Also. for a while, kind of the most we had seen Max aged up in anything official until, huh? House Anyone? of Mouse? No. No, the Christmas. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen it a thousand when times. When he comes back with a college girlfriend, I believe that is That's the right. oldest we've ever seen Max. It's funny because the triplets are still like six. Right. right? But, but, but Max is grown up. He, he, he's escaped the time loop. <laughs> exactly. He left the bubble. It's not Roxanne. No. Nobody else. Well, that, yeah. was, that was, that was uh, people were upset that they weren't together anymore. Extremely goofy. But again, but again, that didn't serve the plot of that film, so they just kind of left. Yeah, I don't think they realized how much people get hung up on stuff like that. Air quotes liked Roxanne. <laughs> every man, I mean, every everybody. She's fourteen. Okay, I'm just saying, <laughs> but we were all also younger than that, and everybody like ten years ago, like, yes, I had a crush on Roxanne. Right. <laughs> I mean, they. She's, you know, as a quote unquote character, she is just the crush, right? She's just always like doing that thing where she's like, ooh, I'm like shy and but twirling my hair and you know stuff. Well, that was, I mean, I think that's an important thing. She's not like the popular girl. I there, guess so. There is the popular girl in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the stereotype is there. I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Like, it, I guess I just look at it. And I was like, oh, this must be the most uh, popular girl in school. But I guess you're but it's right. only just because Max liked her. That's why yeah. he's the audience. And they had so much yeah. in common. <laughs> they were awkward. Yeah, man. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> anyway, uh, very coincidentally, like two days after I decided we were going to do this episode, I discovered that a uh, group called the Bigger Pictures Film Restoration Channel on YouTube. Uh, just completed their work of restoring the film to 4K HDR with better sound and cleanup and everything. Uh, they have a very cool documentary that I'll have in the show notes, and I'll tweet it out about how they did this. Uh, but I talked about some of the issues with the transfer process for the film. Uh, they fixed all of it. They went through the entire film, frame by frame, deleted all those hairs, uh, fixed, you know, the fixed all the scratches, stabilized the, the footage. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There are weird little animation mistakes. There's a shot of Pete in the photo studio where for a frame the black top of his head just isn't colored in yeah they just so they forgot fixed to do that. It. Now, now you're gonna see that when you watch the movie now uh actually his freckles move around too they fixed that uh the other thing is the 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 movie only has a stereo audio track it's very compressed but apparently the japanese laser disc had a good sound source so they pulled that digitally expanded it out to full surround sound and uh that's the audio that they have for the film now uh, the, also, the film was censored in its 2019 release in three key areas. Yeah. So, in the be- obvious reasons. In the beginning of the film, when Roxanne leaps down to Max, they get a little closer. Okay, <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll leave it there. Uh, the the performer before the Powerline concert, they kind of like 
digitally painted her legs so it looks like she's wearing longer underwear mm. when they're oh, kind of bare so thighs. Okay. Oh. And then there's something with the secretary when he's doing the mambo yeah, with her. I'm not sure. I, I couldn't even is. tell what changed, but something did because they show it in their little documentary there. Um, and then they use you know uh, 4K AI upscaling. They use four different techniques to kind of get the best of everything without the drawbacks. Recompiled it back with the original footage to kind of get the best sharpest image they could. Did it on HDR so the lighting looks real nice. And uh, you can see kind of like like a kind of clip montage at the end of shots of the film in this restoration. It looks great. They are trying to get Disney to like adopt this as the official release of the film. Good luck with that. Yeah, Disney doesn't I, usually play that well, game. Like, like I, how big of a group of guys is, like are these? I don't know. I'm sure there's like all kinds of like union things and legal. Right. I can't, can't just like just hey, do, do this. I was having some conversations just on the video game side and. There's always amazing fan projects, and you know sometimes they have this desire. Like, can't we just pay these people and like release this stuff? And you just you generally can't. It's mm-hmm. just too complicated. You just have to, like higher than it. And it's a. Bo- it's like I almost wish like maybe like let's, let's like sit down and solve that problem actually. Right. Because it's like because yeah these people. But again, I'm sure for, incredible for Disney, like what's the problem? Like right. taking the time. Well, but yeah, but like the the time's not so bad. I mean, the profit and time is yeah figuring out the legalese of it more so than the production. Mm-hmm. I guess. Well, the production's done exactly. So but, I mean, my hope is like once they've exhausted all avenues. Oh no! It got out onto the internet somehow. Don't mm-hmm. put it on your Plex server. So yeah. we'll see. Kind of like the Star Wars despecialized editions of the right. mythical restoration of a goofy movie. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, that's kind of the run of the production of the film. Guys, what does this movie mean to you? Both mm. as your memories and we just rewatched it tonight. So first, let's talk about like, like, like what you remember this film growing up. Go ahead, Mike. Do you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I do remember seeing it. Again, I'm trying to remember now if we saw it in local theater or we might have seen it in that AMC theater. But I remember like being excited, largely because we were such Disney Afternoon fans. Mm-hmm. Even um, even though like I wouldn't have counted Goof Troop as among maybe my f- absolute favorites, like I was still excited about that, and you know it was kind of was this interesting premise. Oh, it's like aged up a little bit, right? Because even in the cartoon show, Max and Goofy mostly just kind of got along the entire time, and right. where there's actual friction and things like that. Well, yeah, I think that that's part of what kind of makes you like remind you of this film, especially as a kid. Like seeing Goofy in that in the different tones is, is very like. In a way, off-putting but sincere. Goofy as a gets child. sad and mad, and right, you're right. like, whoa, this is emotions of, kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I well, so Goofy's always been my favorite of the Disney characters, so I was a huge mark for this film. So much so that I had the junior novelization of the movie that oh, I man. read. That was weird, weird because because now you get Goofy's inner monologue. <laughs> I can distinctly remember the one passage in the book during the High Dad soup scene. Where, you know, in the movie, he's like, nah, little words, like, bye-bye, <laughs> and I love you. And then he gets real quiet yeah, and stops, right. and he's like, like in the book, it's like, Goofy stopped. Perhaps he said too much. <laughs> I was like, like, I don't know if I need to know this much about Goofy's brain. There's words. novelizations for every movie. There I was. remember the Space Jam one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think we had one for the Mac. Yeah, no, because remember the Space Jam novelization? Bill Murray wasn't in it, so yes, like the Roadrunner yeah. was like the deus ex machina yeah, at right. the end. Yeah, just that. that what Why did we all read I, that? I, I just remember always going to the middle and looking at, at the, the pictures. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there was a few glossy pages yeah. in the middle. It's like part of the marketing thing. Well, we got to have the, the novelization. novelization. Why, okay, and there's people like they made money just writing those like why not get, right. get, get you know weird that's something, something i want to hear the history of is the history of those junior novelizations books. all right mark it down uh, so, something else about goofy and max i remember not necessarily uh the goofy movie but it's parks related i, I forget what pool you guys were contemporary, contemporary. contemporary. <laughs> i was gonna say contemporary but it was like an event that goofy and max were gonna come swim with us 
And they were going to come on uh, jet skis and all that. And we're sitting there. We're waiting forever. It was late. Yeah, It was late. And we're like getting ready to kind of go. And you finally like see them in the distance. And they were. They were on a jet ski No, they were, they were tubing on the back they of a tubing. jet ski. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And then they like they came and they went down the slide and everything. Jumped in. Like, well, like at first we're like, oh, cool. Like they're here. And I remember Goofy they got like, the walking up to the edge of the cool, doing like a little clap at a point and then actually jumping in. I was like, oh, my God. He's they swimming, swimming with us. Mm. And I remember the lifeguards yelling at all the kids like, Goofy is not a pool toy. Please do not hang on to him. That would be terrifying as the guy in the, that yeah, costume. Right? Water I hope they water In a pool, bit. there's going to be 20 kids. I also remember because like, they went down the water slide, but they cut the line. I was like, hey, <laughs> I've been in line. <laughs> they know Walt Disney. It's their favorite 20, uh, 20 questions answer. Yes. I also just remember, and he kind of reinforced today, like, this movie is actually funny. Like, oh, very. That's some great gags. Like, oh, me and my best buddy are going fishing. Ah, Donald, oh, Donald Duck. Duck. Yeah, that <laughs> line always tickled me. I remember that kid. line getting a big laugh even, like, as a kid in the theater, right? And, and memorable moments. Like, we always remember the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. Of course. And everything with that character, Bobby. Really. Yeah, Bobby Shore was Bobby's always so great. Good. We repeated those lines a lot as children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, watching it, you know, again today, and I haven't seen it in a few years at least, but uh, you know, now that you're a dad, it's always the thing. Now that I'm a parent, how this movie Oh, I can't me wait till your kids think you guys are lame. Oh, they already think I'm lame. Because they're going to love mine me. Don't, mine they love are, me. They already think I'm I would, lame. I'll reinforce, like, yeah, I agree. They are pretty lame. <laughs> <laughs> now help me swap this fly. <laughs> but, um... Again, kind of like you said, I'll, I just want to talk about it a little bit too. Like, like the, you know, the scenes where Goofy gets like the, the one with him and Pete at the hot tub. Yeah, where oh, like scene. you know, my son respects right, yeah. and you know, it, it's a little heavy handed when you watch now, I guess, but it is very cool to see like you know, Pete, PJ, and, and Pete have this very kind of military esque. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's not it's not an affectionate relationship, but Max is jealous because they have this cool camper. And all this yeah, stuff, the and he, you know, he's stuff. like, "Oh, I could, I'd love to do this." And it's like, "Yeah, but like his dad and him don't get along." And you actually have what PJ probably wants. Like he just wants his dad to love him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you know that that whole line about he respects me. And it's like, and the way Goofy just says like. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, it's, it's like dramatic like, moment from Goofy. Whoa. Yeah, even like when 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 PJ or Pete dumps him, like uh, you know your kids duping you, he, he right. changed him out. He just goes what? Like like yeah. it's like it's like he's heartbroken. It's yeah. like geez, Bill Farmer's a good actor. Well, again, that's it's where it's a good thing they kept in the Goofy voice because you can you imagine that? And just when it, when it wouldn't matter. Voice, it wouldn't matter. Right? It, it doesn't hit as hard. It, it's 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 that whole idea of you you need the highs to have yeah. the lows, and, and that's why that scene works so well. I mean, it's it's a really good scene. Like watching again it's like man i'm like really into this i do remember even as a kid though uh thinking man if these two could just uh have a conversation for a right. second yes yeah they could solve like a lot so of many problems. things so oh, that's and that, again that, that's the theme of the movie yeah right and i get it it's hard to the communication but like max's plan is also just ridiculous really bad and also really bad like plan. somehow it gets pulled off anyways and there's no legal consequences of just going on <laughs> stage they get away with it they don't go to jail <laughs> they're like you know they should have i wish he always just had a line about like a restraint Water or something. Yeah, that end. would be funny. I, mean, I didn't know Powerline before the concert, and I'm legally not allowed to be within 50 feet of him. But yeah, right, right, <laughs> something right, throw away. Right, you know. I mean, it's funny because like there's that security guard who's chasing Max. He's like a bad guy for like two minutes. Like this guy's doing, doing his, his job, job. <laughs> doing it far better than anyone. He's climbing up on rafters, yeah. risking, <laughs> risking his life. <laughs> but even like um. You know, the scene after they kind of have their big fight and they, they first end up in the river. I mean, you know, we're watching the movie. We're cracking jokes. I mean, we were pretty quiet yeah. at that point. You're yeah. kind of you're kind of into the plot at that it. point. There was actually an interesting story. Bill Farmer talked about watching the movie with his then five-year-old son. 
And after the movie, the kid was like crying. He's like, well, didn't you like it? And he's like, no, when Goofy went off the waterfall, I just kept thinking that was you. Uh, like, oh, man. Yeah. I, I, I kind of laughed like, how come he's not doing this? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Inappropriate time for the Goofy yell. Fair enough. Best, uh, best line in the movie, the one we still quote all the time, though. Always put too much water in these. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you get uh, in the hot tub. It's fitting for us. So. <laughs> it doesn't fit. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah hey yeah. How about the uh, the uh, the beer that Pete spits? Yes, out? that is confirmed by Kevin Lima to actually be beer that Pete spits on the TV, making it there the first go. and possibly only time a main Disney character. What do you think? What do you think Pete has drinks? Oh, of course. I think he. I was thinking like Bush, like I think he drinks Miller Genuine Draft. Oh, you, know, <laughs> you are correct, sir. That's what he I absolutely think drinks. The champagne of beers. The champagne of beers. Well, that's more High Life. <laughs> Look out now. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Mm, but does he drink High Life or is it an MG? He might drink it. You know, I, I bet he would get duped into drinking the High, High Life, Life because they call it the champagne <laughs> of beers. I think well, you're right. It was a brown can. Is that the right color? Uh, I don't know. That many years ago? Who knows? Kevin, tell us what beer Pete drinks, please. Goof Light. <laughs> Goof Light. <laughs> yes. All right. That's uh, a goofy movie, everybody. Excellent job. We Very did nice. It. All right. We have an email Hooray. to oh. read from the mailbag this month. This comes to us from Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Andrew writes, I listened to your Fantastic podcast on my flight down to Disney World to see Fantastic for the first time. Hmm. I hope we didn't spoil it for you. <laughs> I was looking at the sections of the theater, and it's Mickey, as you mentioned, all the villains from the show, but then there's Sebastian. Did Sebastian heel turn into a direct-to-video sequel? Uh, no. I don't know why Sebastian's one of the I do remember sections. that, but yeah. You're right. You just kind of throw I do remember there. that. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of it. You said that. I'm like, huh. Maybe to Ariel, he's a he's a villain because he's no, uh, trying to I mean, put down not, on her no, plans. It's oh, not he, that. I mean, there's like I a know, villain section. Obviously. Yeah, I don't know. Just like, oh, why not? Maybe all the other like ones, like we need somebody that starts with a different letter than some of these other characters. I don't know. What's an S? Sebastian. Yep. I mean, hey, this was, you know, what, 98 we said or whatever. It's Slow Mermaid. So I don't know. I got no good answer. <laughs> we have no, nor do we have a funny one. Sorry. Yeah, I got to look into that. But he concludes his email. Shout out to Robo Mitch. Oh, hey, <laughs> welcome. There you go. Robo Mitch will return <laughs> someday. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Mike Zors. Yes, you are up. Have you had some time to consider amongst, I have. amongst all the bug battles? Yes, I've been very busy. I've been multitasking. <laughs> busy here. as a bee, <laughs> but I've, I've actually got one. Uh, oh. I'm a little surprised it hasn't come up yet, actually, because you might say it is in fact not just any ride, but my favorite ride. What? Indiana Jones? We have not done the Tom- Tomorrowland Transit Authority. Uh, what? Really? Really? I don't think we've done TTA. I no. Not. We have not done TTA. Okay. Good excuse to do that in the people mover and the whole history. Oh, my goodness. Even though I was saying, I was like, I'm pretty sure we did. I looked, but I don't think we've done the TTA. No, we definitely haven't. Yeah, so. Uh, I guess I don't consider that a 90s attraction. Yeah, I wasn't at all. Oh, complete rename and everything. Hey, we did Spaceship Earth 94, so. this uh, I, I accept okay. your, your your premise. Good excuse to do uh, the whole history of the people mover. Uh, I like it. Starting from Very Disneyland good. and some of the other places that popped up, but that incredible. Well, you touched on it with it. rocket rods, I guess. We talked about there. rocket rods before. Yes, we did rocket <laughs> rods surprisingly early. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. We'll look forward to that uh, in August. In the meantime, you can go to 90sdisney.com to check out past, present, and future episodes of the show and subscribe on the podcasting service of your choice. Uh, check out our bonus episodes we just posted. Mikey went to Disneyland and Universal Studios in LA recently. We talk about his trip and some of the new things he experienced there. And our last main episode on Fantasmic, uh, I can talk, uh, that Chris put together that talks about the show before it caught on fire. And uh, that was a really good time as well. I was not running when I was there. No, you did not get to see it. 
So thank you for listening, everybody. If you want to email us, you can hit us up, 90sDisneyPodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Mastodon. And until next time, we'll see you right here on 90s Disney. Quit killing flies! The show's and You couldn't wait two more seconds. I saw it there. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. He says goodbye.